Hey, welcome back, everyone, to the Reflex Blues Show. I'm your host, Donovan Beery, recording from Omaha, Nebraska, and I have with me Hannah Zimmerman from Lincoln, Nebraska, co-hosting. Hannah, how are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. And today we've brought in Lauren Hom. Lauren, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. Where, where, where are you located today? I am in Detroit, Michigan. I've been based here for about three years. And where was it before that? What brought you to Detroit? Well, it's kind of a long story. So I grew up in Southern California, like 30 minutes outside of Los Angeles. And then I went to art school at the School of Visual Arts in New York City. And I lived there for a couple years after graduating. So I was in New York from 2009 to early 2016, I want to say. And then I did my mid-20s, pack up my life into a backpack, travel around the world kind of thing. So I was just backpacking and working remotely from 2016 to mid-2017. And then my boyfriend and I decided to come back to the States. And we were originally going to go back to New York, but then he started his own business and I was working remotely already. So we decided to pick another place. And it ended up being Detroit, lower cost of living than New York and had a really great airport because we both travel for work. Well, we used to travel for work a lot. Um, yeah, yeah I, I don't think there's probably <laughs> much traveling at all right now. There has not been. It's so funny. Uh, at the beginning of 2020, one of my resolutions was to cut down on work travel and I got my wish. <laughs> yeah. Is that, is that, that's the be careful what you wish for that people always warn you about, I assume. A hundred percent. Well, Lauren, we're going to start with the last show we had on was Brooke Robinson from Good Type. Love Brooke. Hi, Brooke. I know she can't hear that. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> I know. And, and, and this is all in the past because, you know, we don't release these live or anything. So, but, but she wants, to, so we had her ask our next guest a question. And so she asks, what are you most looking forward to in 2021, which it is 2021 now? Wow. Did you record that with her recently or is this in 2020 that you recorded? No, we recorded it just a week ago. Oh, so. very nice. Okay. Hmm. Well, to answer Brooke's question, I think I'm most looking forward to experimenting creatively. So in the past, I guess my background, I've been doing hand lettering and I'm primarily known for that for the last eight years. Wow. Since 2012. And I recently announced, I think a couple months ago that I've made plans in 2023 to attend culinary school and expand my creative skill set. I've always been a home cook and I just I've always wanted to do something with food, but I think that getting a formal education will help me focus and learn a new skill and be accountable to it. And so what I struggled with a lot last year was struggling with the idea that I'm a lettering artist. You know, I followed the advice to find your niche, but now I have to stay in it. If I deviate from my niche, I will never get work ever again. People only follow me because they like my lettering. Like there were a lot of these, I had a weird milkshake of thoughts going around in my head. And at the end of last year, I finally let go of some of that. And so this year, I think will be, will bear some of those fruits of me not feeling locked into lettering necessarily. And so just experimenting. I've got some, my desk is very messy right now, but you can't see it. Uh, I've got a bunch of clay and sculpture materials. The kitchen behind me is filled with food stuff that I've been baking. So yeah, I'm most looking forward to expanding my boundaries and trying something new or allowing myself to try something new, as silly as that may sound. So like you, you do have a niche 
or niche of, of like hand lettering. And, and usually like, you know, somebody works in a firm like ours or something, someone calls up and they want a logo and we said, Hey, would you like a website? So I assume you'll say like, they'll call up and they'll say, we want a mural. And you're like, Hey, would we, would you like us to also cater your grand opening? Ooh, you know, that could be a really cool hybrid studio catering company. I like that. I'm going to keep that one in my back pocket. I have zero like idea what I want to do with my degree or how far towards food or close to design I'll stay after going to culinary school, but that definitely is some intersection. So I like that. I loved the cookies that you had on your Instagram. They were like super detailed. I thought, how long does it take you to make or like design them like that? So it's kind of funny. Those cookies took me way too long. The backstory of those were that towards the end of last year, my, I have a full-time designer who works with me usually here in the studio, but not anymore. We've been working remotely. And so we had like a little socially distance, uh, holiday party since we've never had one before. And so we, she wanted to make cookies. And so I was like, great, I'm going to buy all the stuff to make cookies. Cause I've always wanted to learn how to decorate those like Royal icing cookies right. too. And it was really hard. Like I made a lot of ugly cookies that day. But like my obsessive graphic designer brain was like, no, I have to get this right. So I spent the next week like learning and practicing how to do like nice designs on cookies. Right. So I'd say a week of practice. And then the ones you saw on my Instagram probably took me two days, maybe. I I just put on a show in the background and decorated cookies. But it's funny because that is a good example of I was terrified last year to share anything that wasn't lettering. And ironically, those cookies are like one of my most liked and engaged with posts ever. (laughs) And I think it'll be cool to see that kind of design aspect and your culinary kind of clash together. Because I think they really go hand in hand and being that kind of creative art side that we all have. And I think it'll be cool to see what you come up with. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I've noticed a lot of parallels already just from food and design. Like uh, there's like ingredients that go into a design or a recipe. Um, there's a pra- like a practical aspect to it as well because design is something that people are going to interact with or use. Uh, whereas, yeah, food, you have to eat it at the end of the day. So it has to look good. It has to taste good. So there's kind of a function and form that goes along with food that also comes along with design. Now, Lauren, how was it that you originally got into where you said, I'm going to just do hand lettering? Like, obviously, we've talked to other people that have done this before. Like James Edmondson, I think, had to go to Europe, he said, in order to get a degree in it, because there aren't even a lot of schools that specialize in just that. So what was it that that, that you originally discovered it? And, and what was it that originally made it so that you said, I'm not going to really do other design? It was something that I stumbled to kind of on accident. So I went to school for advertising, actually. Um, I wanted to work at an agency and be an art director. And that was the path I was on for most of my early 20s. And while I was in school, uh, they made us take some like just core classes and typography was one of them. And one of our first assignments was to draw the Roman capitals like really, really big so we could get to understand the nuances of letter forms. And I kind of had a knack for it. Prior to that class, shout out to Richard Mel. He was the teacher who assigned us that. And in what school was this at? Ah, uh, the School of Visual Arts, SVA, okay. for short. Prior to that, it had never crossed my mind that you could draw your own type. It was just fonts. That's what I was familiar with. And so I, one, had a knack for it, really liked to do it. And then I just started incorporating more hand-drawn type into my school projects. I tried to work it into my ads. 
And then the really pivotal moment to answer your question, I guess the short answer is I started a Tumblr blog. I feel like that dates me a little bit back in 2012. <laughs> I haven't logged in in quite a while. <laughs> But I started a Tumblr blog in 2012 called Daily Dishonesty. I had this idea that it would be a fun way for me to practice lettering um, because I had been practicing drawing type and I knew it was called lettering at that point. I thought it would be fun to hand letter all of the little white lies that my girlfriends and I told ourselves. We were like 21 at the time. Uh, and I just had a massive library of things to pull from because we were chronic liars, not in like the really insidious way, but just things like, you know, I'll do the dishes later or I'll be there in five minutes, little things. And so okay. I started I started lettering those and posting them on Tumblr and it just caught this wave of internet and started getting shared and I started getting featured on design blogs and people were reaching out for freelance work and it was just kind of a whirlwind all while I was still in school. So senior year uh, when graduation rolled around, the blog had kind of blown up and I had signed a book deal for it um, to make a gift book. And it was just kind of a unplanned, like a happy accident and I still went into advertising after that, though, because there was this practical part of my brain that was like, oh, I can't waste my degree. I should go into advertising. It'll be a sure thing. Maybe this lettering thing. I'll do oh, it and, on and, and being a chronic liar is going to help you. In your <laughs> that's, that's nothing but moving right up the ranks. In that, oh, in that my gosh. That's a really good observation. I was just telling a friend the other day that I feel really silly, but, you know, prior it was only after I left advertising that I started thinking about any of the ethical implications about being in advertising and like what I would be selling. <laughs> I know that sounds so silly, but it, you know, when I was 18 picking a major, it just didn't cross my mind. And so I think things ended up working out where I kind of sidestepped uh, that path. But that is a funny tie in that uh, the reason I got out of advertising was because I made a blog about lying. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, long story short, I went into advertising, had this daily dishonesty blog and book deal on the side. Um, I just figured it was like a good resume builder, but I burnt out of ad pretty fast. I was a junior art director at a big agency. And because simultaneously, while my interest in advertising was dwindling and my interest in lettering was rising, it just kind of hit this point where I was burnt out within a year of working at the agency. And so I the next closest viable thing was lettering. And so I just jumped into that. Of course, you know, this is the short story. Like there was plenty of preparing and saving and planning for leaving my full-time job, telling my parents. And yeah, I ended up quitting after about a year and just diving into lettering. I figured worst case scenario, I had burned through more savings than I wanted to and then have to just go get a job back in advertising, which wasn't really that bad to me. I was 22 or 23 at the time. And so I figured, yeah, worst case scenario, I'll just go back. And then I never went back. So here I am. <laughs> and, and the book, Daily Dishonesty, um, do, do, you, do you send people to your website to buy it? Do you send them to Amazon to buy it? The book looks great, by the way. Oh, thank you. You know, I don't know if it's still in print. It was a gift book. It came out in 2013. There have got to be some copies floating around Amazon or used bookstores or maybe even I think the best place I would recommend people going if they're interested is Abrams, which is my publisher. Go to their website, look up my name or the book's name, Daily Dishonesty, and maybe you can find some copies. But and I to, haven't really kept tabs on it. And to find more information about your work, it's just homesweethome.com? It is, yes. It's like home sweet home without the ease in home. <laughs> right. Okay, we're going to be right back with uh, Lauren Hom. 
So Lauren, you're, you were talking about moving into a possibly a new career or at least experimenting with something. And obviously this is going back to school. Isn't something you just do where it takes a little bit of time. It's quite a bit of time. How do you, how do you plan on kind of going from, Hey, I'm just kind of working for myself full time to now all of a sudden I have like a whole new job on the side. Well, it's kind of open-ended. So like I was saying earlier, I, I found my niche with lettering and it worked out really, really well. It, finding your niche a hundred percent works from a purely business standpoint. Like people know what you do, you're good at what you do, your portfolio has a focus and you've got a voice. Cool. But my friend was telling me about this thing called the seven year itch, where apparently it happens with a lot of creatives and entrepreneurs where seven years in, you start to burn out of something, even if you really like it. So I kind of hit that point. And so for me, I picked, you know, an interest of food. Um, I've always been interested in food and cooking and that's where my creative gut is pulling me. And I chose two years as kind of a runway, as a way to financially and emotionally just kind of prepare myself to make a transition into kind of the unknown. So the plan is 2021 right now, in 2023, I'd like to go to culinary school and I'll only be doing a year long program. I'm not gonna get like a whole new bachelor's degree in culinary arts, I think. And because I'm vegetarian, I have a much smaller pool of schools to choose from. So that's been, oh. fun, been fun to research. Um, so likely I will end up in California, New York, maybe Colorado, and maybe Europe. I'm not quite sure yet. But this year is kind of about uh, researching a little bit more and preparing my business to be able to run a little bit more on autopilot. Um, I have a full-time designer with me. I have some contractors I work with. Trying to get my online courses and education stuff on autopilot is a big, uh, big goal for the next year or two. And I gave myself that two-year runway just to slowly transition. I, I know I mentioned this earlier with leaving my full-time job in advertising, but I have to remind myself all the time that I've made a career transition before. So like, this is not that big of a deal. It's totally going to be fine. Following my creative gut hasn't led me astray so far. Um, and so I think what I'll end up doing is slowly transitioning the business. I, I'm planning on taking the year that I go to culinary school off of client work almost completely. Uh, the goal is to kind of get that down to as low as possible so I can focus on food stuff for a year because I was just joking with a girlfriend. I was on a call before this about how in theory, I could save a lot of money by just taking a sabbatical and cooking every day and like documenting the process and like self-studying. But I know I don't have the willpower or the like the self, uh, what's the word? Yeah, I just don't have the willpower to do it on my own. There's no accountability. I would probably just watch Netflix for a year straight, to be honest. And so I think the accountability of going to school and the structure will be really helpful. But yeah, with my full-time job, I probably took six months to, to make a game plan to slowly you know, transition out of my job. Of course, I didn't tell anyone I was gonna quit till right when I was gonna quit um, or putting in my two weeks. But you know, in my head, there was this kind of mental checklist of, okay, I'm gonna you know, make sure my portfolio looks nice, kind of refocus it on lettering, not so much advertising. I'm going to work on passion projects to build up that portfolio and kind of get my name out there as a lettering artist. Um, I'm gonna you know, share more lettering stuff on social media, network more with people in that field. And so I did that for six months and then slowly kind of built up, a, built my way towards being able to leave and not kind of jumping into the great unknown. I had kind of a, a plan or I had built stuff up. So I think I'm gonna try to do the same thing with 
this cooking thing, but we'll see how things go. It's strangely exciting to not know what's going to happen uh, because I've had a little bit more certainty in the last couple of years just because I've been in my business for longer, but now I'm kind of excited by the unknown. Well, this whole year has been an unknown, I think, for most of us. So even <laughs> though true. even though we've all thought that, hey, what's going on? We're like, we don't know what's happening in a month. Like That's maybe really we'll have work, point. maybe we won't. That's true. And like I was talking with a friend too about how this or last year and this year probably, probably even the next couple of years, because there's been so much uncertainty, there I think we're gonna see a lot of new, you know, pivots or creative directions or businesses popping up because people are just going to be like, fuck it, we don't know what's going on. So like, what is there to lose by trying that wild idea or pursuing that one dream? And so I'm kind of excited to see what comes out of that. And I don't know anyone that's been in this profession for more than 10 years where their job hasn't drastically changed in some way or other. That's so comforting to me. Thank you. We've done, I've done websites now for two decades, but the way we build them is not anywhere close to where, when we started. You know, everyone, when I was graduating, there are a lot of places that did, they made their business doing annual reports or music. They don't, they don't do that anymore. You know, I mean, there's, there's still people that do it, but it's like, there's no dedicated firms to annual reports. That used to be a huge deal. CD packaging is kind of gone as a, as a, as a big deal. Yeah, that's actually true. The other day, my dad shipped me a box of stuff from, I had in storage at my grandma's house. And there were some Adobe Creative Suite CDs in there. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is like a relic from the past. I think it was like CS3 or something. (laughs) I had like, I want to say it was about two years ago. I switched, uh, no, it might've been even a year. It's hard to, time is not normal these, these, this last (laughs) year, but I want to say say the other day, the other day means yesterday or 10 years ago. Yeah. I, I think it was within the last two years though. And I had to update an old, an old iMac that was like a decade old or 12 years old with a solid state drive inside. And I had to get the operating system back on it and there's no automatic reboot on it. So, so I found out you could order a copy of Apple Snow Leopard on DVD for like 20 bucks. And I had it shipped to the store and I went and picked it up. And when I picked it up, they were, they were like, what is this? They said everyone in the back room was like hovering around this disc because most of the people that even worked at the Apple store had not seen an operating system on a DVD. <laughs> it is funny how fast how fast things change because that's a really good point you made about CDs and annual reports. And yeah, as technology evolves and new things pop up like there weren't social media agencies 10 years ago maybe was 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 Facebook even around I can't remember but not definitely not to the extent that they are now (laughs) yeah no 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 I mean I think they were around 10 years ago but if you start going about 15 then there'd be like nothing yeah absolutely because even we started I started a podcast about design it was it was over 15 years ago now with, with a couple of friends. And this is our second show. So which we started this show is like 13 years ago. And back then you couldn't, there was no like plugins and stuff for websites. You had to just code everything. And so even that was different. Wow. That's actually a good point. I was uh, chatting with my agent a couple weeks ago. Actually, I lied. I, I was, I should have said the other day. I'm pretty sure it was either, <laughs> it was either a couple weeks or a couple months. I don't know. <laughs> time doesn't matter. Time doesn't exist anymore, but 
the nature of the lettering work that I've taken on in the last eight years has shifted dramatically. When I was doing lettering in 2012, it was a lot of, you know, editorial stuff or like digital banners and things like, and not that those things don't exist anymore, but as my work has evolved and things have you know, taken form or I've started teaching and I grew an Instagram following things that I didn't expect to do. The nature of the work has just shifted. And so I rarely do editorial stuff anymore. Um, and I'd say that stuff is kind of replaced by social media graphics for companies or even brand partnerships on my own page or ad campaigns, which are kind of still like, I think ad campaigns are still kind of the big projects to get as a freelance designer or lettering artist, but yeah, uh, just the nature of the work I've done, even in my niche, has changed. So that's a good reminder that things are always going to shift. All right, we'll be right back with uh, Lauren Hoff. So as someone who's worked with such big names like Target, Starbucks, Adobe, and Google, how does one kind of get started in with those people? Is it kind of dumb luck or is there actually a process to get in there? It can be a bit of both. Um, so for example, I'm trying to think which one of those clients I worked with first. Time doesn't exist anymore, so I can't quite remember. But I would say that for me, when I first started doing lettering kind of after Daily Dishonesty blew up and I did some other projects and I was just starting to make a name for myself with lettering, the clients that I had you know, on my client list I'm pretty sure no one knew about like prior to going full time with lettering um, and jumping out on my own. My biggest clients were the Dallas Fort Worth airport and then one project I had done for YouTube Europe. And so just to give you some context, like it wasn't like, you know, out of the gate, I was landing these big projects. And I always remind other designers that like, it's kind of just like stepping stones and building blocks. So just slowly over the years, you know, as you work with, let's say local businesses, and then it kind of goes into maybe a national brand, or they have some, some stores in some, in different places, regional magazine to then, you know, a national magazine, just slow, slow little building blocks of credibility. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, those building blocks of credibility, I think that with each next level, you know, I'd swap out a client on my website or something. Mm -hmm. It just slowly built up to that. Like those credibility markers helped to gain trust when like a client looks at your website and they're like, oh, they've worked with this brand that I've heard of or this brand that I've definitely heard of. I always like to joke that I know it's a big client if my grandma knows what the brand is because she really only watches like the news and kind of big TV right. channels. So it was really just a slow process. And the, the way I built that up too, I, I've mentioned passion projects, but I've always been a big proponent of wanting to work on side projects because I think when I was working, when I was a student, um, I was going to school full-time, I was working part-time on the side. And so we'd get our assignments and I'd go to work. And then when I came home too, this is gonna sound silly, but it was actually relaxing to me or empowering to me to be able to work on something that was just my own, um, that I had full creative control over. It was kind of like my relaxation. And the same thing happened when I was working full-time. Like I would still work on passion projects on the side because you know after a, a day of meetings and uh, being art directed by people who weren't in the creative department at the agency, okay. um, I think it was really nice to have something to call my own. The other day I described it as 
a passion project is like having a dog to come home to at the end of a long day. That's like the creative metaphor I could come up with. Right. So I did those passion projects. I put them on the internet, you know, starting with Tumblr and then on Instagram. And that really helped to circulate my work around the internet as well. Just having, having stuff other than client work to show was really helpful in, in people connecting with my work and finding it and sharing it because it was more of a personal angle. Yeah, so that's that's kind of like the, I guess, practical step-by-step, like work on passion projects, you know, slowly build up your client list and credibility markers. Your work is also just going to improve too as you mm-hmm. as you go along. So that's probably a, a factor. But then there is just some dumb luck too, maybe mixed in with some of those other things I just talked about, like the mural I painted for Google a couple summers ago, someone just DM'd me about that project. I rarely get good project leads from my Instagram Mm -hmm. DMs um, and I usually kind of disregard them or Instagram DMs are also impossible to manage you can like lose lose them there's no way to kind of filter through them but yeah someone who worked there reached out uh, and it actually ended up being a real project so maybe she found my work through you know one of my projects or she happened to stumble across it who knows but I think that's the closest thing to like a dumb luck kind of project that I've gotten in terms of those big name clients. And I feel like sometimes we have expectations of like how clients will be, especially people or clients that are that big. Cause I think, I think we all can agree that like target and Google, they really hold their branding and their marketing very close to them because how they communicate, communicate to their consumers and how they continue to grow as a company. So as a, like starting as kind of a freelancer working for small agencies and that bridge over to working with companies that are so big, were there any expectations or things that you expected to happen communication wise, or um, that was different from what you're usually used to? I think I'll tie it back to what I said about that uh, woman who worked at Google DMing me about Mm -hmm. like a big Google mural project. (laughs) I think one realization that I had after working with big clients and communicating with them, it's like, oh, you know, yes, a brand like Target or Google, we think of as these, I mean, they are big corporations um, and it's like a big machine and they do take their branding. uh, They hold that very closely to them. But at the end of the day, like it's usually just like one or two people you're communicating with. And they're just regular people who stay up too late and scroll on Instagram and like text their friends, like exactly the same way that you or I do. And Mm -hmm. so kind of, I think my advice or what I've, what I've learned is like taking those brands or people off of pedals, pedestals, because they're just regular people. And so I think one thing that surprised me is just, yeah, they're capable of forgetting stuff or being disorganized, just like I am. For anyone who wants to, you know, land a big client project someday, it's not that intimidating. It's, and honestly too, by the by the time you do land, you know, a big ad campaign or a project with, you know, I worked on a, a Target gift card, for example, you would have had so much experience working with smaller brands or mid-sized brands to have prepared you to know, you know, how to negotiate or price the project or set a project schedule or timeline and invoice. Right. So you can kind of think <laughs> of every project that you take as practice for the next potentially bigger one. So had I gotten a Google mural project in 2012, I would have been freaking out and not in a good way. I would have had no idea what to do. I mean, I've talked about this before publicly, I think, but the first freelance project I ever did, I 
didn't even know how to set up a PayPal so I could get paid. And I was too embarrassed to reach back out to the client for the $50 they owed me. So I just didn't. So the first free, my first quote unquote paid freelance project, I didn't actually get paid because I had no idea what I was doing. Right. Well, at so, least it wasn't with a Google budget. 50 bucks, <laughs> 50 bucks you can get over, but I'm assuming Google pays a little more than that, but maybe not, yes. maybe not. <laughs> You know, actually, that's one thing too. Google Google paid me very well. Don't worry. But that's one thing that I've heard from some other designers is the there's a lot of shock when a big brand pays such terrible wages or project fees or offers exposure because you're just not expecting it because you know they've got a ton of money somewhere. <laughs> right. Maybe that's why they got the money, but who knows? Well, Lauren, we do have one more question for you. Hannah's actually here. She's interning with us this month. She graduates here in the spring. So is your advice to just drop out, go to culinary school, or should she like, or what should she do? <laughs> well, what are you majoring in, Hannah? Graphic design. Ah, yeah. very cool. No, don't drop out and go to culinary school unless that's what you want to do um, and you're able to. Do you have any idea of like what your dream gig out of school is or any kind of maybe industry or niche within design that's piquing yeah. your interest? Um, illustration. I really enjoy looking at typography. The more that I've gotten to do stuff, I enjoy manipulating it and that's why I think I'm really drawn to like your work and Brooke's work our past podcast was talking about her typography and like where she finds it and just how we all find inspiration through it and I think that's really fun to look at okay continue good to know my advice is well one congratulations on being about to graduate I think obviously you need to make some income once you graduate so get a job uh, if you're able to um, and just see it as gaining experience. Honestly, I thought that when I left advertising, cause I quit like right under a year, I was so terrified that I was gonna be like blacklisted from like the agency or studio world and that everyone, all of my coworkers would hate me because I was jumping ship. But I stayed in touch with a lot of the people I worked with. A lot of them have hired me cause they're at other agencies now. Um, they've hired me for projects, we've collaborated. And so any job experience you get out of school is good. You're going to meet people. You're going to learn a ton, especially the inner workings of, you know, even how work gets produced. Um, it's all good stuff. People are great. And then in regard to your interest in typography or illustration, I am a, I 100% encourage you to explore that on the side. It can, worst case scenario, you enjoy doing that kind of stuff. You hone your skills. Um, you've got you know, you can add something to your resume as a skill set. Best case scenario, maybe you make a project that goes viral and then you get to be a lettering artist or illustrator. I think that, I mean, I guess this advice applies to anybody, but making time to nurture our creative interests on the side is really important, I think, for longevity in a creative career. And like, I guess I'm a good example of that. Like, even when you're nurturing your creative interests, your creative interests are going to change over time. Sure. And so, yeah, I think that would be my best advice for you. Sorry if that was too long-winded. Oh, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's all good. <laughs> all right, all well, the advice I can get. <laughs> yeah. Lauren, we really want to thank you for your time. And we look forward to, to seeing you, hopefully, maybe even catering an event we, we attend sometime. We'll Ooh, see. that would really be a cool story to it say would be, that it would be cool to attend an event again that's what I'm also trying to <laughs> <laughs> oh I know yeah I got what I asked for with uh, less work travel and so 
yeah, it's been weird to have been in just one place for an entire year, but that's okay. Been spending a lot of time tinkering, making stuff, thinking of ideas that I don't have time to do. Well, I do have time to do them. I'm just a procrastinator. (laughs) (laughs) How, how, I mean, I think a lot of us as designers do procrastinate. Do you have any, do you have any tricks not to? Uh, I am the wrong person to ask about that. So the only thing that works for me is setting actual calendar dates for things that need to get done. I need the reminders. I need to see it in front of me. I can't have, you know, of course I have, you know, the notes app on my phone where I just kind of jot down ideas, but in terms of actual to-do lists, I need calendar dates with deadlines on them. That's the only thing that really works for me. I build in a lot of time to like margin for error, I guess, for my, for any in-house projects or personal projects, because I know I'm a dilly-dallier and I just am going to dick around until I absolutely have to do something. (laughs) And so I'm a, I'm probably not the best productivity person to talk to, but I, I will say, okay, my one productivity hack is for me, I can work on something and stay on the, stay on course and stay engaged and get my stuff done on time when I'm really engaged and excited about what I'm working on. And so because I know myself like that, anything that we work on in-house, any passion projects I have, I make sure that I'm really excited to work on them before I actually embark on them because I know that's the only way I'm gonna see it through. Like I was just joking with a girlfriend earlier today that this is gonna, actually no, I was gonna say this is embarrassing, but it's not, it's just normal. I haven't updated my portfolio, which is the thing that like, I think gets me work, in two years, the work section at least. I know, it's been so long. And she uh, confided in me that it's been longer than that for her. And I think it's one of those things, we were talking about it, it's on my to-do list. It's always been maybe number eight or nine on my to-do list. It's never urgent enough to kind of breach into the top three. And because I'm still consistently getting work, the incentive to actually sit down and like dedicate a weekend to updating my portfolio just keeps it's not there, uh, but it's something that I want to do. I don't, I don't want to update my portfolio when I absolutely have to, when like the work dries up. So it's on my list of things to do. If this is exciting for anybody, I'm working on putting together some kind of accountability thing. I don't know if it's going to be a group program or some kind of mentorship thing or a course, not sure yet, but I want to host like a update your portfolio week or month or something where everybody who's in the same boat as me and my friends who want to but haven't can get together with a group and actually update their portfolio. <laughs> I think it's a larger amount of designers than you think. Yeah. I think so too. Like, After talking with a couple people, I think it's more common than I realize. I hear it a lot. I uh, We actually keep ours pretty up to date. Like Good when projects you. get done, we just kind of add them. But that's But I think the only reason we keep it up to date is because we do it right away. And so there's never more than like one project to add. You know, if, if, if I would let it pile up for like six months, a year, then, then I would be. That's good. So maybe, maybe you just ignore the last two years and you just start adding from here on as they come out. I don't know. That's entirely possible. As I've kind of transitioned from solo freelancer to working with um, some other team members, I definitely think that that's something we could add to our to-do list just because there's more hands to help out now. I like that though, of like doing it immediately after you finish the project. It's like when you get home and like you put the groceries away when you get home from the grocery store, you don't leave them out on the counter because the pile up is real. What you just said, like 
six months, like once things started piling up, like, oh, I haven't updated my portfolio in a couple months, six months, six months can turn into 12 months really fast. And 12 months can turn into 24 months even faster because you kind of hit this point of no return where you're like, oh, there's already too much stuff laying around. Like I may as well just not get to it. I get the same way with emails where if I forget to respond to someone's email for like more than two weeks, it'll just, it'll probably take me two months, maybe longer to respond. Yeah. I found that I need to respond a lot of times within the day or it's not going to happen. Yeah. Actually with your email, when you emailed me, I was on a good productivity kick and I was like, I'm going to respond right away. And I <laughs> so you caught, you caught me at a good moment. Well, we, we appreciate that our timing was good. We didn't plan it, but it just happened. So it was meant to be then. All right. Well, thanks Lauren. Thanks for having me. Am I on? We're good? We're, we're back. This okay. is after after the music, something like that. Okay. I My brain, of course, thought of this piece of advice for you, Hannah, after we stopped recording. But here it is. I heard this from other people, and I will just regurgitate it to you because I found it to be true in my own career, and I've seen it with other people, is you can take more risks the earlier on you are in your career. Of course, you can absolutely take risks later on. Like I'm eight years into my career and I'm gonna make you know a quote unquote risky pivot into something else, but you have time on your side uh, when you are just starting out to try a bunch of different things and see what sticks and not get locked into an identity that you feel like you need to stick to or the comfort of you know a certain industry. You can really bounce around and try stuff. And I think it's, right after you graduate is the best time to just try everything that you're interested in. Because I was talking with my dad the other day, his generation, you chose a job and then you just like stuck with that one job your entire life, which is what he's done. And now people are jumping around more, I think because we maybe we see more online or there's just the nature of work is changing. Or maybe but... it's because big companies just fire everybody. <laughs> Or because big companies fire everybody and they're just trying to build an entire workforce off of contractors and not give anyone benefits. Yeah, Anyways, but regardless, <laughs> it, doesn't matter, it doesn't matter the why. <laughs> yes, all that aside, creatively, I think that this is the perfect time to try a lot of stuff because you can always pick yourself back up and try something else um, if one thing doesn't work out for whatever reason. That was actually a big factor or a big realization I had in deciding to quit my job was that the difference between getting a full-time job in advertising at 23, which is where I was, versus 24 or 25 seemed negligible in my mind because I still had my resume, I still had my skill set, and so there was really no reason not to go out and try lettering or something else to see if I could make it on my own because you still have all your credentials from before, you still have your skill set. Like if I go to culinary school and for some reason at the end of it, I'm like, I actually don't want to do this or no one will hire me or there's maybe, or we stop eating food for some reason and we just <laughs> sustain ourselves off of air in the future, who knows? Anyways, I always have my design background to go back to. So every skill set, that every skill that you're building is in your toolbox pretty much forever, other than having to keep up with new software and things like that. Everything will have a purpose and everything is a tool in your toolbox for however long you want it. Ta-da! That's really <laughs> helpful like to bounce around. Cause I think that's something my parents even told me like, they're, you're young, like just 
because my parents, they're accountants and he's a, my dad's an electrical engineer. Like they're very like strict. Like I went to school and I did this mm-hmm. and like, there's a, a, a clear path. And so they're like, you know, art isn't something we really like know what you'll do with it, but they're like, just run with it. Like we will support you and just like bounce around. Cause the worst thing you just go back to school and you find something else. But like, they're like, we don't want you to regret not doing it or because like if you don't go to culinary school I feel like you'll be like well I should why did I not just do it like just just do it and something might happen and honestly I think if you just do it in 110 percent something will good will come out of it or you'll like learn more about yourself if it doesn't lead down the path you exactly thought oh yeah a hundred percent something good will come out of it even if it shows up like later on in life you never you never really know shoot what was I gonna say Mm, culinary school. Mm, oh, yeah. I was going to say that was actually the catalyst too for me deciding to go to culinary school was I had always joked with my girlfriends that like, oh, you know, if I won the lottery, I think I'd go to culinary school and then just like host dinner parties for people for the rest of my life. That would be fun if I didn't have to work for money. And then I had a realization last year that, you know, I've built up my design business for the last eight years, um, I've saved money. Like, I was like, oh, wait a second. I don't need to win the lottery to do that. Like I can do that if I want to. So like, what am I waiting for? And so I was like, oh, I can be my own lottery payout. And so I decided I would go to culinary school. I think what your parents said, it's funny that, yeah, my advice is similar to what your parents said. And they probably, they have so much more life experience. So if they said it, they must be right. And hopefully I can just back that up. I mean, the way that things work with technology and media too, you never know what design things are going to come up. I don't think we even had the term influencer 10 years ago. And now we see people making, you know, millions of dollars on YouTube, which is still something I, I'm not a part of yet ever. I don't, I don't know, but there are new things popping up all the time and who knows what you'll do with your design degree. Something will come out of it. I want to meet whoever came up with the term influencer as a job title. And do you get a business <laughs> card that says that or not? Like, I don't know I how that no works. I have no idea. I've been trying to come up with a better term for it because, you know, now that I have a big Instagram audience, I fall into that category and I don't love the term. But at the end of the day, like we're all, everyone's been an influencer, even pre-internet. When you wear a shirt or a shade of lipstick or drive a car, you're influencing people around you. They might ask like, hey, where'd you get that shirt? Or what car is that? Or, you know, what are you listening to right now? And like, what's your favorite podcast? And then someone says this show, you know, everyone has influence, whether they think they do or not. And so to make a career out of it, though, is something that's quite new because of the internet. I think it started with blogging and then it kind of moved into I think the there, were, media space. there were probably people that made a living with it before, but not to the point where anyone actually knew they made a living. <laughs> now I think part of being an influencer is telling people that you're just making a living doing that. That's true. The internet allows for like a level of transparency that didn't exist before. Hmm. It's also so weird too, because like the other day my dad had texted me because he's fascinated by Instagram and what it is. Um, mm-hmm. He he has like a little burner account just to follow me, I think, and maybe my brother. Uh, he doesn't really use it, but he was like, oh my gosh, like you have, you know, 200 something thousand followers. He's like, did he's like, that's like two football stadiums full of people. And I had never thought of it that way because to me as like, a you know, growing up with the internet or I guess 
when did the internet come around? I'm remembering like dial up being a kid, like fighting with my brother. Well, like, well when I went to, when I went to college, <laughs> the internet was around, but we didn't really talk about it. And when I graduated <laughs> college, then it was like people were hiring designers to be web designers. So like I went to school, switched to design. And, and then it was only like my last year of school where it's like, oh, I can actually do web design for a living. And then I was like, I, I should probably learn. I didn't know it was coming. I just knew that, well, I should probably learn this because people seem to be talking about it. Mm-hmm. So that would have been, you know, 97 because I graduated in December then. So, I mean, but I mean, the internet was around before then, but it wasn't like. It wasn't the thing. <laughs> there And there were, there were web designers before then, but they, there weren't many, you know. Well, you had good intuition then to follow that. Not, not even a trend, but just follow the technological advancements. I guess so. But, but I mean, and it was weird because I was the only one in my, in my class that did like there were, there were people in the class before hmm. or afterwards, but it's like, I think I should do this, but, but it just seemed, but you had to do it on your own. Maybe that was part of it too. Hmm. Like it wasn't, it wasn't really like it wasn't, there wasn't the class to take it. I mean, the first web design class I ever took was the one I had to teach. <laughs> I love that. Oh my goodness. But that's a good, that's a good point that like, if you have experience in something, you can teach it. You don't have to have gone to school for it. If you just, if you know how to do a thing, you can teach it to somebody. So that being the first class you taught and took. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There are... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Don't you have classes? Like I was looking on your blog or your website and you have courses that people can take. Yes. A couple but... years ago, I started teaching because I had people asking the same questions over and over again and a lot of it was too complex to like put in like an Instagram carousel right Right. (laughs) so I think those are so helpful sometimes sometimes those can be the fodder for someone to start thinking about something or take action or just kind of helpful tips but yeah I started teaching as a way to because I was so successful with my own passion projects and kind of Mm -hmm. getting my work circulating through personal work, I started teaching a class called Passion to Paid that kind of broke down my brainstorming process, putting together the project, marketing it, and like continuing to maintain it as a means to attract freelance clients and build an audience. And I kind of made it and put it out there just to see if anyone would want to take it. And it turns out people did. Uh, And so I started teaching other classes. Now I have a lettering class and a mural painting class. And yeah, I never expected it to be a part of my business, but once, you know, I kind of put it out there and then I got the validation that people wanted to actually take these, I started making more uh, because it's a lot, it's a lot easier and efficient, more efficient for me to make a course and like kind of download my brain into one thing that Mm -hmm. lots of people can learn from versus, you know, me teaching a workshop of 10 people at a time or me answering the same questions in my DMs, like just constantly the same things. Like it's nice to have just kind of one go-to place. And yeah, it's been really rewarding and it's also super lucrative, I'll be honest. Like it is a great way for any kind of designer to diversify their income and also kind of build build credibility as a pro at something or as a a leader in something, just because you have to have the confidence too that you know what you're talking about. And of course you need, you know, the work to the proof to back it up. But yeah, that's something I incorporated into my business in 20, 
17, I think. And, and they also go to homesweethome.com to just fork over their cash to you for that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so if you feel like giving me money, you can go to homesweethome.com slash classes, or you can just poke around my Instagram. There's probably some stuff there. Now, what I, was I don't, say- I don't oh, think sorry. you need to know as much as you think to teach these classes. So when I was in school, <laughs> when I was in school, we had a teacher that, that, um, and he's since retired, but one of the, one of the professors at Carney at the time, he, he was telling us the story that he was taking guitar lessons and he found out that the guy he was taking them from was only a lesson ahead of him. And was actually, <laughs> and the guy was actually paying for his lessons by the money that Al was giving him. Is that a pyramid scheme? What is that? What's that called? I don't know. <laughs> I think you can probably get away with that when you're like, I mean, I'm guessing the other guy was like 14 and I was probably 12. I don't know what it was, but, but you that's how that, that was. Working. I mean, that's a good point. I, I've said it before that like, you only need to know a little bit more than someone else to teach. Like, I think a lot of us, a lot of us think that we need a decade of experience in order to, you know, be an expert on something or possibly teach it to someone else. But, you know, kind of like the cookies you brought up, Hannah, like I have only been decorating cookies for that week, basically. But I could teach you if you were sitting here with me right now and we weren't in a pandemic, I could teach you how to make those cookies in a day. I'm positive I could, even though I, you could argue I only have seven days of cookie decorating experience. <laughs> well, your work, your work looks like you have way more than more than 10 years of, of stuff, even though you said you've only been doing this for like eight or something. But but obviously, you, you know what you're doing. Well, and, you, and you're at least you. you're at least two lessons ahead of me and Hannah. At least. Yeah. <laughs> probably okay, probably I'll, quite a bit more actually. Probably. Yeah. I'll take I'll take <laughs> I'll take the two. <laughs> but I was going to say to wrap it all up, I was I was just thinking about something that ties in what we were talking. Both of us or all of us were talking about of you know you graduating and there being you know the internet, but it wasn't quite. A thing and you know people were talking about web design and it could be a career and you know we've been talking about how design changes I saw a quote recently that said what was it oh it said like during a gold rush like you should sell shovels and basically the idea being that wherever people's attention is or where businesses are starting or people are yeah people are doing business or making money there are things to be designed within that space. Um, I guess right now it feels like it's social media, but who knows what it'll be in the future, apps. I mean, it already is apps, but thinking about where you can fit in as a designer or a creative in, you know, wherever the quote unquote gold rush is, I think is a interesting strategy to make a good living or always have employment <laughs> as a designer. And so, yeah, I've, I've kind of taken that same mentality with my online education now where I've been doing lettering for eight years and I realized I was getting asked a lot of questions about lettering, marketing, just general things about being a working creative person. And when I realized people wanted to know that information from me and I got the validation, I think that the popularity of lettering rising has been good for the educational aspect for me because now that more people know about it, that means more people want to learn it. And so you can almost see the popularity of a certain design trend or just a certain niche rising as an opportunity to teach it. Because I think the same thing can happen, I guess, in any field, in any kind of trend that comes or any kind of skill. Um, there's always going to be people who also want to learn that skill. No, I think that's, I think that's, that's, that's accurate. And, and you can also leave. It's not like you're stuck with that skill. Just because you get into web design doesn't mean that you still have to do it. 
for 20 years. You know, that's a good point. And it's something that I had a hard time reminding myself of or or remembering because sometimes or oftentimes we are our own worst enemies. Like we, we put ourselves in the box. We think we have to do a certain thing in order to either be popular or liked or to make money. But in reality, like, like you were saying, if, if you, even if you're the best web designer, if you're just tired of doing it, you don't No one's saying you have to do it. You can always learn a new skill or uh, try something else or, you know, build a team so you don't have to do all of the parts you don't like to do anymore um, and open up opportunities for other people as well who actually are interested in the thing. One thing I had to remind myself of this or last year because I was in this weird shame spiral of like, oh, I'm so ungrateful, you know, or you're so ungrateful for because, you know, you get to do lettering for a living and that's some other people's dreams and you're not really that interested in it anymore. Like be more grateful but it has nothing to do with gratitude necessarily. It's just that you can be super into something for a year, 10 years, and then it can just not be your cup of tea anymore. That's okay. You can still like it, but the same thing happens to me with like my favorite foods or my favorite bands or certain fashion choices. Things just kind of come and go. And just because it's not your favorite thing anymore, doesn't necessarily like degrade it for anybody else. Someone else could be super hyped on it because they just found out about it or whatnot. Or you could be like, I don't know, in Japanese culture, it's pretty normal to like pick a skill and then like dedicate your all to that one skill. Like you think about the artisans in Japan. Have you seen that movie, uh, Jiro Dreams of Sushi? Have either of you seen that? I haven't. It came out maybe, I don't know, six, seven years ago, but it's about, it's a documentary about this sushi chef who's like the best sushi chef in Japan. He's only ever taken two days off in his entire life. And he is just so dedicated to sushi, everything sushi. And there's something really admirable about that, but I have to remind myself that there's nothing any less admirable about someone like me who has a lot of interests and likes to learn a lot of different skills and could possibly be good at a lot of different things, just different paths for different people. I think part of what brings people into design is this wanting to do multiple things though too. Like like if, if if you had this focus on just one thing, it's almost like that's almost like more of a fine artist like you would have never left art classes you would just still be like doing clay sculpture or something I don't know maybe not yeah who knows I don't know at at SVA the fine art department was pretty separate from the graphic design advertising department they coupled up graphic design and advertising into one building okay and I've I've never been there I, I know some people who teach there but I've never actually been to the building so I haven't been back in a long time. <laughs> they, well, they, haven't asked, they haven't asked me for money yet. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I got asked to teach a class a couple is, years Is that ago, why you moved to Detroit? But... So it's harder to find you? Is that the deal? <laughs> <laughs> no, we honestly like, we honestly moved here because we wanted to find a city that was lower cost of living than New York, like significantly. We wanted a, a well-connected airport because we used to travel a lot for work and we wanted to know like there was an art school or like a creative community there. And so we asked our friends and family and we narrowed it down to Detroit, Austin and Nashville as our potential new places to live. Oh, sure. And we visited all three of them. We did like three weeks in each place just to see how it would be. And we liked Detroit the best. Uh, my, My partner's from the Midwest. He grew up in 
Minneapolis. And so he's already like his family is around this area and he's familiar with like the Midwestern climate and uh, the culture. And I grew up in California, but we decided that it was just, it was the best option. And we've been pretty happy here. Like we just have a little bit more breathing room than, I mean, living in New York is really fun, but it's also expensive and fast paced. And there's lots of temptation in terms of spending money or going out drinking. And uh, there's maybe because we're just getting older too, like there's less of that here, but this matches like our pace of life a little better. Who knows? Maybe we'll start going to like Detroit techno raves <laughs> in the future. Um, I'm, mean, not rule, I'm not ruling it out. The minute everything opens up, I think some people are just going to go nuts. I'm terrified for music festivals, concerts, events. Like people are not going to, it's all this pent up energy. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be wild. They're, well, it's going to go one of two ways. They're either going to go wild or they're going to be just so used to it. They're like, I can't go inside. I can't go anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you either have a room of socially awkward people who can't make eye contact or you have people going nuts. Actually, it sounds like a design event right there. <laughs> Hannah, if you want to know what a design conference is like, that's it. Okay. Yeah. And to be honest, too, like I have gone to so many design conferences. And even as a speaker, I sometimes I'm a wallflower. I sometimes when I'm, if I don't know another speaker or I didn't bring a friend with me and I, I'm getting ready to go to like the after party or like the dinner or whatnot. I'm so nervous. I'm like, no one's going to want to talk to me. I have no friends. I feel like a new kid in school again. So everyone, I think most people feel that way. So you're right. Design conferences are just a bunch of awkward people sometimes yeah. and the charismatic people too. <laughs> yeah. But, but I mean, the thing you, you have to remember on that too, is that everyone there, we're all there. We all love design. So you have, yes. you immediately Instant know talking that. talking point. Yeah. Kind of like if you go to a concert, you know that, hey, I probably like the same music as the person next to me. You yeah, know? that's a really good point. I think that the stuff that you nerd out about when you find out that other people nerd out about it too, such an instant like connection. Like my best friend from college, we became friends because we met at a party and we were a little bit drunk and started talking about music. And I confided in her that I really have a soft spot for like emo music from the early 2000s and she was like oh my gosh me too and then we became best friends <laughs> so design is the same thing the, the niche yeah. stuff that like you think is kind of weird or that you don't think anybody else likes there are people out there who like it and the internet's a great example of that like there are so many niche communities out there oh yeah that's what I was gonna say uh Donovan but one of the episodes I listened to prior to coming on was Danny Donovan, who I met when I was in Omaha. She was like my tour guide. She was on, she was on AIGA, like the board when I was in Omaha and I listened to her episode and I do remember her uh, ADHD comics going viral and that's really cool. But that's a really good example of kind of finding your niche or something you might be nervous to share about yourself or something that you think that only you go through can be like a breath of fresh air for other people to see like, oh my gosh, someone's like me. Or like, I totally relate to that too. So yeah, it was and I think, I think since we've had her on the show and Hannah, it was what happened was Danny, um, who was a, at the time she was a designer here at like Gallup. She okay. did like a little graphic about what it was like to have ADHD. And it, it blew up like, like hundreds of thousands of shares and stuff. Like it right. went crazy. And the only, her big regret is she forgot to put her name on it and stuff. Cause she just made it as just to make it. So, 
And actually, I believe now she that is her full time job is just making ADHD stuff and That's doing amazing. graphics like yeah. she actually quit her full time job and she is just dedicated to that since we've had her on the show. See, there's a good uh, example of passion project plus internet plus designer. It can lead to stuff. I think it's, I liked what she said about one of the tricky things about going viral or getting any acclaim for your work uh, for a specific piece or project is after that, you know, trying to live up to that and feeling disappointed if everything you make after that, like, is it going to live up to, you know, the thing that went viral? And I think as designers, we, constantly are ping-ponging things like that around in our head but yeah a a viral project or catching I always call it catching a good wave of internet (laughs) uh, can be life-changing it was for me like I was just a college student kind of dicking around on the internet it was tumblr um, which I think I had a personal tumblr before that that I would just kind of like repost stuff to but I had no idea it was going to take off the way it did I don't think I put my name on any of the pieces but because Daily Dishonesty was a project, not just a piece. It maybe was a little bit easier because I did them all in the same style. And so people could recognize it as mine or they could come back to the website that I had made and see that there were lots of pieces in it. Whereas I think for Danny, it was like one image, right? That like went, made its oh, yeah. rounds on the internet. Yeah, and, 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 I, and I think some of her other work has gone viral, but nothing's gone as viral as that first piece she did. Sometimes all you need is one. You just need that one thing to kind of catapult your work or your name into the internet sphere and kind of what you do with it after that, uh, I think is important too. Whether you want to make it your full-time job or it was just kind of a fun thing that went viral. Like lately, uh, over the last year, my boyfriend and I have been watching a lot of just like memes and like old vines and like TikToks and I always wonder how these people feel like going viral, like of a silly video of themselves or a cat, like, can they do anything with it? Like, can they pivot that into like a brand or a business? I have no idea. I <laughs> but think, with design projects, you can. Yeah. And sometimes you just don't want to. You're like, hey, that's yeah. great. It went viral. It was a huge deal, but I don't want to do that work. So we just don't show it. You know I mean? Yeah. That's actually a really good point. I That's something I've been thinking about as I plan on updating my portfolio is your great, like your quote unquote, like career greatest hits, like you don't have to put them at the top. You don't have to show them. Like if, even if they are objectively the thing you were known for that put you on the map, like I definitely have struggled with trimming down my portfolio in the past because I think certain projects have to stay for either clout or credibility or because they put me on the map, but you're right. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> and there's a weird thing too with with the portfolio where you're trying to get work, like what you would have or what I would have. And, and like Hannah, where she's trying to get a job where we would put things on there because it's like, oh, this is what a potential client would want. Where Hannah, you're like, no, you're you're applying for a job. Like it's a whole different, like what you pick right. out to show is completely different sometimes. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I know some designers like who will curate their portfolios for a specific client or a specific interview. Um, I think that makes, that makes total sense. Um, what else was I going well, I don't say? really do that per se, but, but oh. there's certain work I just like, we don't, we're like, oh, hey, that's good work. But I'm like, we don't want to do it. So we just don't show it. Ah, or, oh, yeah. I, or you have, that. or you have that work where you're like, this isn't as good as our other work. Like we wouldn't show it if I was trying to get a job, but I'm like, but it shows something that the type of businesses that would hire you want to see. 
Mm. You know, we had a very, we had a letterhead that stayed in our book for a long time because it was just generic enough that people would be like, I can see my logo on it. Mm. And so, and we, we got a couple, we got a couple clients because we had that in there, but I'm like, I wouldn't, I would have removed this a couple years ago. Yeah. I heard some advice of like, yeah, don't, don't put anything in your portfolio, no matter how big the client is or like, you know, what credibility you think it gives you if you don't want to do more of it, because what's in your portfolio is what you're going to get more of um, just inevitably. And so that makes total sense. What was I going to say about portfolios? Nope. Do they, oh. do, you, do you expect them to still be, do you expect them to be physical books or online or what do you expect? Well, now I, it's got to be online. No one sees a physical <laughs> book, like, but the maybe in, time, next to the year. Oh man. The last time I printed out a physical portfolio to bring to an interview was I interviewed for an internship uh, at Louise Feely's uh, studio in New York. When oh, I was, she's, she's great. Yeah. Her oh my gosh. Her work is phenomenal. Um, you know, so many heavy hitters have come out of her studio, like Jessica Hish, uh, Dan Tonamachi. I think those are the two that Nick Masani, like off the top of my head. And so I interned there for a semester because Gail Anderson was my communication design teacher and she noticed I had an interest in typography and food through my work. And so she set me up with Louise, which I'm really grateful for. There's no way I would have gotten that connection had I not met Gail. But yeah, I think for me, I, I expect portfolios to just be digital nowadays. If I'm, I've only really hired twice, but if I am ever hiring again, I, I would expect it to be digital. It's actually weird now because I get because my studio address is like in my email signature, I get people sending me stuff just like in the mail. I don't know if that happens to you, Donovan, but. Well, we just, uh, we'll get things here and there, not not that many, but we like get zero mail now. That's the weirder thing about this year is that like all junk mail is just gone. I don't know if people just quit oh. mailing. Like like I'll come, I come to the office like one or two days a week because I'm, I'm the only one here anyway. And and I'm like, how are there only like two letters under the mailbox total? Like, you know, how is this even? Oh, huh, maybe something happened. Uh, yeah, maybe junk mail is, it's not a priority. I was going to say that this is not design related at all, but you know, you can, uh, last year I opted out of junk mail. There's, I forget, shit, I forget what it's called, but basically like any of the credit card applications you get, or like it's mostly financial stuff, loans and like credit cards, bank stuff. Uh, you can request to be taken off that list forever. Uh, you just have to like mail a letter. I will, I will email you the link when I look up what it is after this, okay. but Hannah, you might want to do it as someone who's probably going to get bombarded by that stuff over the course of the next, you know, <laughs> as you enter the workforce, you can actually opt out of that legally uh, okay. because when you sign up for a credit card, I guess, like they're allowed to share your information for marketing purposes with other credit cards. It's a whole fucked system. So uh, just letting you know about junk mail that you can right. opt out. Of it. Oh man, I know. I've been trying to figure out like a project that I can repurpose junk mail with and I just haven't come up with anything good yet. I've been, the closest thing I've come up with is turning it into paper mache something, but it's a lot of work to break down junk mail too. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I was it looking is. on Craigslist the other day for cheap blenders because apparently that's the way you do it. You got to blend up your mail with uh, water. 
We, I think, I think way back, like in, in junior high, high school, we, we like did some recycled paper and that's what it was. It was a blender and water. And then you run it through a screen and yeah, yeah. those thick papers or whatever. So. Yep. Maybe I'll have to do that. Who knows? I think this, I was going to say this year, but maybe last year was the year too of like DIY projects like that. Just figuring out what you can do to entertain yourself and keep yourself stimulated, like with the stuff that's already in your home. <laughs> you probably would have had the most time to do it, but, but I don't think there's ever a bad time for that project. That's for, actually for that true. Sort of thing. Okay. Well, Lauren, good luck with the culinary school. Thank you. Thanks and for having me. It was fun chatting. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye, Donovan. Bye, Hannah. Nice to meet you. Bye. Bye. The Reflex Blue Show with Donovan Murray is hosted at 36point.com. Music by Dust Lab. <laughs>